Hey everyone, I'm Daniel here again with another episode of our Ecom show and today I'm here with uh, Chloe Thomas and uh, she's a really experienced e-commerce expert and also podcaster just as myself and uh, she has two podcasts actually one of them is the e-commerce master plan and the other one is uh, keep optimizing and uh, today with Chloe we will talk about the winners of this year and what things what tactics and what strategies these winners in the e-commerce world uh, they use already and they will use this year and uh, we will talk about mostly five things five different uh, strategies this show is sponsored by Budai Media Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to thebudaimedia.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us. And before we get started, I just want to give a quick shout out to Steve Hutt uh, from uh, Shopify. He also has a very good e-commerce podcast, the e-commerce fast lane. Do you follow that maybe, Chloe? I do. Yes. Yeah, I'm connected with Steve. Yeah. Good podcast. And uh, CRM Rogers, he also has a podcast and I think he's also UK based. So I just wanted to mention their names because uh, similar to you, Chloe, they are also really experienced in the e-commerce uh, podcasting world. And this world is not big, I would say. Yeah, so it's great to have you here. And uh, before we, you know, dive into the technical things, uh, please tell us more about your past and and your, you know, how did you end up in the e-commerce and in the digital marketing world? Uh, so I've been in e-commerce for almost 20 years now. Um, my career started as a marketer, a direct marketer work, working for a bank. I didn't like that very much. So I applied to loads of places. And the first people to offer me a job was a UK high street and catalogue retailer who also had a website. And that's where it all started. So I did two Christmases selling gifts with them. Then um, I became head of e-commerce at a group of mail order brands. So building the first websites, really um, sending the first email campaigns, uh, setting up Google ads, all sorts of cool stuff um, way back in the early 2000s. From that, I created a, an online marketing agency that I ran for 10 years, sold that a few years ago. And now I am incredibly lucky to get to just kind of think, speak and write on the subject of e-commerce. Um, and most of my background has been looking at the marketing side of things, although I have been involved in the ops and and other areas but product is something i'm not particularly good at but but marketing is kind of where, where i play mainly is that true that banks the, the marketing of financial companies it's really boring i always heard this again and again yes basically um because <laughs> the business is so big so when i was there i was work one of the for example one of the things i was doing i was working on grading people to the better bank account you know if you earn enough you get to come over to this bank account and so I was like the marketer vaguely in charge of this or part of the team of marketers who were in charge of it. Then we had another team who did all the data analysis. So we gave them a brief. We had an outside agency who we weren't supposed to talk to. We were supposed to brief the inside agency who would then brief the outside agency to create the, di the direct mail packs. Mm -hmm. And we never heard the results of anything we did. And we were doing it all because five years previously, one of the big firms had gone, if you upgrade a thousand people, it's worth 5,000 pounds to the bank. So it's like, what's the point of any of this? You know, it's like, we, we, we don't know if this is actually right because someone just theorized it five years ago. So we're doing all this work. I'm not seeing anything end to end. It's all so slow. And then everything you do has to go via compliance and via legal to make sure 
you're allowed to do it. Truly slow, boring and tedious, but lovely people to work with, at least. I think big companies as much as financial services. And uh, what differences can you see in the e-commerce world? It's more, uh, it's more fast paced, right? Well, the biggest difference is that the software has become more accessible. Um, mm-hmm. which means the barriers to entry are lower, which has actually made things more difficult. So back when when I got that job as head of e-commerce and was briefing all these new websites, we were anticipating, you know, for businesses turning over 500K to, you know, a, a several million, we were expecting to have to pay 30 grand just to build something, which, yeah. and, you know, and that was, this was almost 20 years ago. So you can say 50, 60 grand now to build something which would have less functionality than a free Shopify account has now, you know? So it, it was really hard to do things. We wanted to do, we wanted to do email marketing. We wanted to, or, or like welcome campaigns and automations we wanted to do all this stuff but it was you know spend a day briefing out what you wanted send it to someone who'd then cost it and send you back a cost of several thousand pounds and then you put it live and you'd spend several weeks testing it to see if it actually worked and it probably didn't so you'd never get anywhere and now you can do things much more quickly so we still talk about the same things generally speaking the technology is there to make our lives easier but that's created the problem that there is now so much you can do and so much more competition that it's really crucial to make sure you're doing the right thing. You know, there's, there's so much we could do. The successful people are the ones who work out what they should do and actually deliver on it. So in many ways, nothing's changed. And in some ways, everything's changed. Yeah, yeah. I really feel this because just today we started uh, hiring for a full stack developer. So not uh, Shopify or WooCommerce, but more complex things. And I never did it. And it's it's not easy. So no. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. I, I much prefer the no-code world to the code world. Me too. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about uh, your uh, framework about uh, winners in e-commerce this year. I just let you talk about it because at this point, I'm really interested to hear um, yeah. more. Sure. As I said, I'm very lucky to be able to pretty much just think, speak and write about e-commerce these days, which is I know is a very privileged per- position to be in. So I try and I try, try and use it as a force for good to help as many people as possible rather than just feel smug. Um, and one of the things which I've kind of been trying to get to grips with over the last couple of years is how e-commerce is changing and how I can best help people work out where they should focus rather than what they could do. And there's a lot of really interesting trends amongst consumers because the answer is almost always with the customers. There's you know been a huge number of really interesting trends that have that existed pre-pandemic, but which have been accelerated by the increased online competition and more people selling, which have been increased by the, the huge number of new consumers um, now buying online because of the pandemic. And because of you know events like COP26 um, and an increased focus on sustainability and being more ethical and doing more good, consumers want their money to be doing something good to some extent, which again, is an outcome of the pandemic because we're seeking greater connection. We're wanting to do more than just, you know, we all have a bit of a reality check by being forced to stay at home. You suddenly go, oh, life doesn't have to be like this. You know, life could be different. How do I want it to be different? And so forth. So there's all these kind of big things going on. And, you know, I can talk about them at length, but it's more interesting to see actually what do those therefore mean for doing well in e-commerce? So I thought what I'd do is I'd look at, imagine myself in December 2022 and try and work out the people who win this year, what do I think they'll have mastered? They'll have got their heads around, they'll have done well at in order to be the ones who win, you know, because that's the, that's the holy grail really, isn't it? <laughs> if we, you know, yeah. looking back, back at last year, it's like who, 
you know you can you can work out who, who won the and why they won. Rivers engineer what what works exactly. So I kind of I kind of drilled it all down to kind of four, five areas, and these are they're not. This is not just me sitting around going, oh, I wonder what. But you know, I, I get I do across the two podcasts I do somewhere north of um, 120 interviews a year. And I speak to a lot of other people as well. So there's quite a lot of research going on of, yeah. of what's what's happening in the space, both experts in their in their fields and actual brands and e-commerce people doing the do. So for me, it drills down to kind of four or five areas, as you said, for this coming year. So I read them off quickly and then you can, Dan, you can guide me as to which ones we should get deeper into. So the first one is zero party data. Um, so very quickly for everyone, that is data which your customer chooses to give you. So it's not you tracking them doing something. It's you literally saying to them, do you have long hair or short hair? And them going, I have short hair. And then you using that data to, to do something. So that's zero party data. Um, secondly, we've got selling where the customer wants to buy because consumers are increasingly buying in all the various places they can now buy, be they that other shops, be that marketplaces, be it social channels, live streaming. There's a plethora of them. So should you take advantage of it? How do you take advantage of it? It's something you need to make decisions on and then action. Um, we then got partnership marketing in its various shapes and sizes. So for me, this encompasses everything from PR through influencers to affiliate marketing and customer referral programs, but the power of the partnership and the trust transfers that go with it. The fourth one is that message beats medium. And this is part of a reaction to the world of the death of cookies and the increased competition is being a as an amazing expert at your targeting and all that side of stuff on Facebook ads and every other medium is no longer as powerful as the message, the copy, the structure, the video that you're putting in front of people. So message and how you structure that beats the medium you're putting the message out via and the, you know, the targeting nicheness. It's just the way we've headed. I predict a lot of copywriters are going to get hired this year and videographers and graphic designers. Um, so woohoo if you're in that space. Um, and then number five is to embrace the path to net zero and start shouting about it. This one, you know, we've just changed the focus of the e-commerce master plan podcast to be both about growing your e-commerce business and getting on the path to net zero, which I don't think are entirely anti each other. I think it's possible to do both. Because we are seeing consumers want this, we are seeing government putting pressure on us to deliver on this. And quite frankly, it's the right thing to do for the planet. And being in, in e-commerce, we are in an industry which is not particularly good on the path to net zero. They say that the fashion industry alone could cause any country to not hit its targets. So we have a lot of work to do, but we've got to start talking about it and start getting excited about it. So that's a piece which... You might be a little bit ahead of the curve if you're doing it this year, but hey, let's get ahead of the curve so we can really, really clean up um, as we go into 2023 as well. So that's the five. Yeah, thank you. Let's dive deeper. Uh, so the first one, <clears throat> probably I know the most about this one, zero party data, because, you know, uh, my agency, we uh, focus on retention marketing, email marketing, and we don't do ads. I always say that uh, we don't do ads. And there are so many companies. We just had a conversation with Harmon Brothers, uh, and they also we, we you know we discussed the same that all of these e-commerce founders, especially in the last few years, the more you know new, newer people, they focused on Facebook targeting and and all of that. But now it's I don't say it's over, but the landscape is uh, is changing. 
now we have to ask people what they like, uh, what is their preference, and it's it's more about per asking for permission, not uh, interrupting them. And uh, really interesting direction. So now we are we partnered up with Octane AI, um, for example, but with other tools as well, with Clavio, and we use their survey tools, their pop-up tools to ask questions, to learn about the subscribers, the visitors, and we can target them based on this data uh, in the messaging. Yeah, it's it's definitely a trend. Maybe do you want to tell us more about zero-party data? So maybe any tools you want to mention or any approaches that would help? We, I, I think the first thing to say is, you know, it's it's marketing done well, which, you know, as a you know, pure trained marketer. I love it when marketing's done properly. Um, but then I go, oh, hold on, but it's got to drive some results. And this stuff really does drive results. And it's for kind of, from what I can work out, it's from two key reasons. One, you're sending more personalized, more content-driven marketing, which needs people to respond more. And secondly, in the world of neuromarketing, you know, if we look at what the neuroscientists have realized and identified, is that if we as human beings are, feel like we're engaged in a process, feel like we have created some, had some input into the creation of something, we are more likely to back it, i.e. buy it. So if, yeah. you know, if you've had, quite often people will pair up um, their capture of zero party data with the purchase process, you know, so you'll have one of these quizzes on a website, like I often mention um, New Day, which is a, a product from a company called Hair Story who sell hair products. They're kind of anti-shampoo, although you use it like shampoo, but it's, it's, it's much better for your hair. And obviously you go to it and you're like, I have no idea what I need to buy. I don't understand any of this. So they have something which very quickly takes you through what your hair is like and then provide you with these are the products you want. So as a consumer, you feel like you've been involved in the product discovery process and the product design process because there's this personalized, perfect set of products for you, which makes you more likely to check out. But it's also given them the data to be able to sell well to you and give you the right content, which whilst the capturing of zero party data is kind of um, is something we should always have been doing, but it's also uh, a reaction to the death of cookies and all of that stuff that's been going on in Facebook ad land and Google ad land and all the rest of yeah. it. But it's also something which you can use the data from it to feed back into your Facebook ads to regain some of the strength you've lost because of the technical challenges that happened last year. So I think I love the fact it works on both sides. Neurologically, the process of collecting it makes the customer more into your product and then it gives you the ability to do the marketing. I mentioned the example of Hair Story and New Day quiz, which is a very complicated way of starting out with zero party data. So I think the the biggest tip for anyone doing this is to start small. You know, I, I suspect you found this as well, Daniel, but I certainly have the predilection to go, oh, I'm going to ask quizzes. And I come up with 20 questions with like three yeah. options each and a tree diagram of the potential emails coming out the back of it that's bigger than an oak tree. Don't be like me. Um, one question, just start with one question uh, and then personalize a little bit and learn and personalize a little bit more because that will have an impact. Whereas creating your massive, crazy list that's bigger than an oak tree um, is not a good starting point because you'll never actually build it. And your competitors will have asked one question and have increased sales by a couple of percentage points. And two weeks later, they'll ask a second question and then increase sales again. And all the time, you're still trying to work out whether your tree is standing upright or going from left to right. Um, do you find that, Daniel, that people tend to, to kind of invent Over. the car before they've invite, invented the wheel? Yeah, I, I can see this every day, you know, especially with bigger companies who come to us and they look for help and we 
take a look into their accounts and they just overcomplicate things. So number one, it increases the, uh, you know, there is a higher chance of mistakes and bugs and those will happen almost every time. So we just simplify things. That already helps a lot. For example, one subscriber, they get three emails in one hour from three different email flows or messenger flows. And this happens with many bigger companies. I can see that. And, you know, it just, it just converts better. That, that's my experience. So simplicity. There is a saying like simple, fancy fails, simple wins, something like that. It's, it's like a rhyme. I, I forgot it, but it's on my notes. So yeah, just keep it simple. And what I would advise is uh, just have one question at the beginning with three answers. You can build flows around that and automations. And once it works well, it converts well, then you can build out more, but just um, get some experience with, with that. Also, just one recommendation. So there is a Ryan Lovesk, I think, an American marketer. And oh, yes, brilliant Ask, book. Ask Method, I think. That's the name of his book. And uh, I really recommend this because he talks a lot about quizzes, quiz funnels, questions, how to use these. It's very helpful. Yeah, it's an excellent book. So um, so number two is sell where the customer wants to buy, which is it's a little bit, I think I said, as I said in the initial instruction, it's a, it's a little bit of an amalgamation of a lot of trends that are going on. So consumers are increasingly buying online, not via your dull in, often they put in the surveys um, website. So they are buying um, in game. They are spending money on marketplaces. They're spending money directly on social media, in messenger chats, via WhatsApp. They are ordering products via pretty much anything you can think of. And I think when it comes down to trying to tie down to where does the checkout happen and all the rest of it, that's not the point here. The checkout is where the consumer thinks they're buying, right? Which means we have a lot of decisions to make in terms of how many places do we want to actually sell? Because every additional place, whether it's wholesaling to someone or it's selling on a marketplace or it's, you know, partnering up with someone else to sell via um, TikTok or via WhatsApp or via something else. Every one of these is another set of things you have to learn and integrations you have to build and complexity in your business. And the interesting thing from all the research I've seen so far is that there's no, the consumers haven't yet settled down into where they're spending their money. You know, they haven't yet gone. Uh, yeah, half of us are going to spend it on Facebook and 25% of us are going to spend it on Instagram and then 10% of us are going to spend it on Pinterest. Um, interestingly, I think it's PayPal bought Pinterest. So wait for that to blow up at some point this year. Um, so it's still in flux. So not only is there the flux of your business not yet knowing where your customers also want to buy, there's also the flux of the industry doesn't know where customers want to buy yet. Yeah, and, there, and there are so many new marketplaces coming into the mix at the, at the moment as well. So uh, we've got a lot of kind of vegan marketplaces, a lot of net zero um, marketplaces starting up. I'm, um, I've recently recorded an episode with a company who are creating a marketplace for the disabled consumer is a huge untapped market for many online because it's quite complicated to do online. So there's all these marketplaces that will help you tap into a di different customer niche or niche um, that are coming along as well. And then we've got that whole live stream commerce thing, massive in China, yeah, yeah. definitely coming to the Western world this year. Some of some started doing it at Christmas. So be aware there's a lot of this going on. But my key piece of advice around this, if you want to win at it, is you need to have the tech stack that enables you to adapt quickly.
Okay, so you've got your product information in a format that you can fire it out to different places quickly. You've got your inventory system so you can keep track of everything because you're going to fail on all of them if you can't, if you don't actually have the product to send the customer. And, you know, you've you've got your marketing team ready to twist and pivot. So you've got the tech stack in place that enables you to very quickly deploy and redeploy and undeploy, depending on how it goes. Um, and if you haven't got that right now, that is going to be a problem for you on many fronts um, as we go into this year, because that for me was the biggest lesson of 2020, just trying to get my years right here. Biggest lesson of 2020 was if you had the right tech stack, life was a lot easier. And if you didn't fix that in 2021, that has to be top of your list. You need something you can integrate, twist, pivot. You can't do zero party data well unless you can integrate across your full stack. Exactly. Daniel, you're nodding a lot at that bit. <laughs> yeah, just a side question here. So can you see any trends about apps, building apps? So uh, on mobile, uh, people, they don't like going to website. They prefer apps. Can you see any trends like that? It's, it's been growing. I find I still haven't decided where I sit on this. Um, I've spoken to people who are like, it's going to be all about apps this year. And we're all going to be getting customers to download apps onto their phone. But I think there's all this research about the fact that, you know, there's only so much space on the home screen. If it's not on the home screen, you're probably not using it anyway. So yeah. is an app worth it? It's a whole load of extra work. You've got to get someone to download it and then use it. And then you've got mm -hmm. another platform to do. Then you've got a lot of people arguing that PWAs are the way to go, which are these mm -hmm. progressive web apps that aren't really apps, but are really websites. And then mm -hmm. there's some new technology, I think, coming along, which is like an app, but on your on the web, not on your phone. So you don't have to download it, but it'll work. And then there's other people saying this is now the core marketing method Mm -hmm. of getting people onto your app so they become a list that you can then ping things at. So I'm I'm yet to be convinced on the app front because I'm not sure I'm I'm not sure that inventing your own place for customers to go and buy from you is the solution to consumers wanting to buy in different places. Um so I'm I'm waffly and I'm on the fence when it comes to apps because I haven't yet made my mind up. What do yeah, you think? I think the same it's not decided yet and uh, as you also said you have to download the app and Probably an average user will download Walmart, Amazon, or Tesco, or you know whatever you have in your location, but not uh, maybe Gymshark if you are a big gym person, but not you know the five hundredth hundredth uh, biggest gym brand. You won't do that. So because I, I know a company and they help Shopify stores to build apps, and I'm skeptical because. I don't think that every store should have an app. So yeah, just the big, no, big brands. It's interesting. I've seen some of the case studies I've seen and don't ask me for a brand name because I can't remember. But those have been e-commerce businesses building it as almost like a customer portal, an information portal mm -hmm. rather than a selling portal anyway. And I'm like, whoa, uh, <laughs> that's, that's like yeah. blowing my mind even more. So yeah, I'm definitely on the fence on that one. Let's talk about my favorite one. So you said that message beats medium, and mm -hmm. I also say the same thing, but the way how I say it, creative is over the algorithm. So, but I, I think the point is the same. So, and I'm happy for this because I really like creative people and creativity in general. You know, uh, nowadays the algorithms are very smart, and uh, Facebook and Google, and yeah, a few years ago, or yeah, Google maybe, you know, at the beginning of the 
of this uh, century, like two decades ago, it was highly technical and you could play with the keywords and that was the whole thing. But nowadays it's, it's much more than that. Yeah, it's more like more like engagement based. Um, with Gmail, I can see the same that uh, it doesn't matter if you use a capitalized subject lines or or you use certain words like free or bonus or whatever. End of the day, if your creative is good, people consume it, then then you will be in the inbox and you will be on the top of Google and all of that. So that's very interesting. And I can also see this trend that, uh, you know, it's it's been going in this way and it will even more in the future. So I think it's great for copywriters, designers, videographers, all of those people. Yeah, I think for me, it, I, I do love your phrase, creative beats the algorithm, but it's, this is not just a Facebook ads or a Google ads thing. This is across the whole remit because for me, this is, this is driven by two key trends. One of which is the consumer desire for connection. They want more than just here's a product, buy it. You know, they want some story behind it. They want some emotion behind it. They want the help in their buying decisions. If it's got to be vegan or plastic free or waste low or um, sustainable or net zero, whatever it is they want or low mileage or whatever that might be. They want the story and they want the knowledge behind it in a way that makes sense to them. They're also increasingly consuming things like TikTok and videos on Facebook. So that's the type of thing they're being engaged by. So what we therefore have to copy. So there's that consumer desire for the type of content they're after. There's also just these huge competition levels increasing in the space. And on any platform through history, any scenario through history, you know, you had the the early beginning of the market is those that can play the game, that can can run the numbers, can get it in front of people, can just go, hey, product, sexy, cool, buy, and it happens. And as it as it fills up, as a marketplace fills up and the competitions levels go up, it's those who can engage the consumer who get the sale. And that's why we're heading in this direction. And the to be fair, the you know, the the algorithm issues and the cookie issues. A kind of a subplot they're just forcing us in a direction we're heading in anyway which is why you know it's across all channels we need to be upping our creative game telling the story using great copywriting using all those little marketing tricks great copy great great um creative and i think we're going to see this as a really big switch in marketing teams from the ones and zeros people who can optimize everything out of um, a Google analytics or an affiliate campaign or a a Facebook ad campaign still essential to your team. But I I have the feeling like we've kind of been in a maybe 60% of the teams are them. And then there's a few social people who can't justify their ROI who are the creative ones. And we're going to see that pendulum swing this year to being more of a 60-40, but with analytical creative people Mm. who get sales copy, who get powerful imagery and so forth. Yeah, I just read the book of David Ogilvy, the uh, Ogilvy on advertising, and uh, still analytics will be important uh, and direct response copywriting. Uh, not o- not Ogilvy said this, but I'm saying this. But I read the book and I I really like this uh, phrase. But what he said, uh, art director itis. So you know, people they tend to be sometimes too creative. You know, end of the day, it's about the conversion, not about how nice the images and uh, the videos are so I mean yeah. as um, I've mentioned earlier I started off my career in direct mail and the after the bank I was working on catalogs 
And you might think catalogs, you know, mail order catalogs you get through the post, you might think they're just really pretty. There is a stack of science that goes into every square inch of that catalog of what goes on which page, what size it is, what the graphics look like, the photography, how the layouts are done, what goes next to what, what appears here, how the order forms laid out. There is so much science in that creative piece of of activity it is it's mind-blowing for anyone who's not familiar with it so anyone who wants to quickly upskill themselves in this watch the shopping channels so qvc and all those guys that's a good place to start getting your head in because those salespeople are amazing um watch infomercials you know there's really long yeah. uh, tv yeah. infomercials are amazing for, for fast tracking your learning on this kind of stuff uh, the ads in the back page of magazines, the, you know, the quarter page, half page ones, a lot of those are very, very well put together. And start looking at some, some mail order catalog stuff because there there's a lot of science to this, this sort of thing, which we have ignored in recent years due to our, for about the last 15 years, I would say, due to our focus on Google ads and then on Facebook ads. Yeah. And it's an art we need to, uh, to be getting back to. Yeah, if you open up some websites, some e-commerce websites, you will see terrible marketing at many. Let's be honest. So yes, but if you go to traditional uh, newspapers, you check the headlines, you check the advertisements. Uh, as you said, you can go to TV as well. You will find some some diamonds there, and you can learn a lot. If you want, you, we can uh, talk about the the fourth uh, partnership marketing. Um, activating loyal customers. I really like this topic as well because as a retention marketing agency, we also focus on LTV, loyalty of customers. So I think it's worth to talk about it. Yeah, and actually it fits really well with what we've just been talking about because if you're not quite sure how to go about creating better creative, then partnering with someone who's quite good at creating creative is a good fast track to getting it. So, for example, in the world of influencer marketing, what's your brand partnering with someone who's got a good audience? Almost always now in those contracts, the brand is taking the creative that the influencer uses and is having the rights to use that in other places. So you'll see it on their websites. You'll see it forming the body of Facebook ads. The same with customer reviews and VIP customer programs and referrals and getting customers to share videos in terms of competition. So anything you can do with someone who your customers trust and building partnerships with them is hugely powerful for your brand and and really enables you to both get in front of a good audience which is something which is harder now the algorithms are dying um, and enables you to create the creative that's going to you know, get someone else basically to create the creative that's going to bring people to your brand. So the core ways of doing this, you've got affiliate marketing, which is kind of a body of people who are out there ready to promote your brand in return for a commission got the influencer networks, so um, finding people who will promote your business. You've got your customers. Can you turn them into advocates via a loyalty program or a customer referral incentive scheme? You've got press, key magazines, key journalists who will talk about you and talk about your products and feature them. Um, And you've also got other brands. And this is something I used to do a lot when I was back working in the world of catalogs and mail order. We would swap catalogs with other businesses. So literally, we'd send them 10,000 of ours, they'd send us 10,000 of theirs, and we'd put them in our parcels and send them out. Um, Also works with flyers. We would also do um, partnerships where we would list swap with them. These days, you see a lot of brands doing things like um, putting ads on each other's order confirmation page. 
my favorite of which is a beer brand I was buying a box of beer from and I got to the order confirmation page and I had an ad for some coffee which I think go brilliantly together beer and coffee because at the point where someone's reached your order confirmation page they've checked out they've given you your money and they're in a buying method and that buying mentality rather and that's the point you want to be pointing them at someone else's website and you know doing email swaps with people not swapping the data, but sending an email to your database going, hey, we know you love beer. We're guessing you probably need some coffee in the morning. We love what these guys are doing. Find people with values that match yours and an target audience that matches yours and try some of these things out. This is not ones and zeros marketing. This is building relationships with people. So again, a slightly different skill set to what a lot of people have been doing, but hugely powerful once you find those right relationships. And right now at the start of the year is the time to start building those relationships with people. Yeah. And A-B test. <laughs> so yes, test loads. Don't just go, oh, we're yeah. going to find one brand to do this with. Find <laughs> yeah. five or six. See yeah. who it works with. Because some of them will just go, I'm never doing that. Okay, fine. Yeah. Or find I did, someone who's up for it. I did this once. It didn't work out. Okay. <laughs> so try it many times. Ten times. Please. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so thanks uh, for this great conversation, Chloe. I really enjoyed it. I think uh, not just me, but the audience learned a lot today. And uh, I hope who listen to us today, they will be the winners of this year in the e-commerce world. If anyone wants to find you, where they can go? Well, you find everything I'm up to at ecommercemasterplan.com. And across both my podcasts um, this month, we are heavily focused on things to help you make 2020 super, 2022 even, I went back two years then, to help you make 2022 super successful. So on Keep Optimizing, we're covering marketing that will help you survive the cookie apocalypse uh, across four episodes with four different experts. And on Ecommerce Masterplan, we're putting nine episodes live this month, each one focusing on a different marketing uh, Uh, sorry a different growth tactic for this year including quite a bit on marketplaces and other things we've been talking about today so uh, you can find find everything I'm up to at ecommercemasterplan.com including how to get in contact with me if you've got any questions thank you very much for letting me be on your show Daniel thank you you are doing a great job on content on the content side so many lives (laughs) and so many experts I'm really happy to hear it Uh, yeah thanks Chloe and thanks everyone who listened to us today every week we are coming out with a new episode so stay tuned thanks again